It's Thursday, October 11th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Maker. Happy Thursday, guys. Whoa, whoa. We're beginning to bring a close to this week. Chris. We are. It's been a busy we, one. And when we got a, we got a busy podcast. We got a bunch to, to chew into here. Uh, we're going to talk wireless communications. We have another recall. If you if you liked the Toyota recall, <laughs> that wasn't our only recall of the week. We have another one. Uh, we've got some email to get into. We're going to start with earnings from Safeway. Shares of Safeway down this morning on pretty heavy volume, Joe. Uh, kind of a mixed bag, it seemed like, for their quarter profits. Up 21%, but that was down from the previous quarter. Um, What do you think when you look at this company in the quarter they just had? This business has got some serious problems on their hands. Operating margins have fallen four straight years. I don't see any sign of that turning around. They've got a ton of debt. I do like how management is handling the shareholder end of things in terms of what they're doing with their cash. So they've been paying a progressively larger dividend, which I actually like in a business like this. I don't see a lot of big reinvestment opportunities. So hats off to them for being responsible and paying that out. And they're doing an IPO for a gift card business that they have. Uh, That's going to unlock some value that people probably don't appreciate today. But ultimately, I think Safeway, the franchise, is on a long, steady march to zero. It's really just a matter of time. And they got a lot of debt rolling in 2014. I think that's where things could get really dicey for the stock. We've talked uh, at length about retailers like Best Buy and their footprint and how many locations they have and their need to get geographically smaller. It seems like Safeway might also be in that category because it has, I don't know, something on the order of 10 times the number of locations that Whole Foods has, maybe even more than... or some odd stores. Um, is, is the footprint too big and is a way to um, uh, make those margins look better, to look seriously at starting to close some of those locations? Yeah, I'm sure the underperformers will be closed. I mean, the nice thing about groceries is that there's not a lot of online competition for that because there's a lot of freshness involved. Sure. Um, Spoilage, obviously, and just, you know, short-term demand. I'm making dinner tonight. I need to pick up some tomatoes. Right. Um, Two-day shipping from Amazon doesn't (laughs) help me. Yeah. I mean, the issue here, though, is just that margins are so low that when you're talking about 2.5% operating margins, so that's earnings after interest and taxes, that is very low. And when you slightly decrease sales, the ripple effect to your bottom line is huge. So, you know, another couple years of kind of piddling along at, at flat results while Walmart keeps muscling in on groceries very aggressively. Whole Foods comes in at the top end. That's a tight spot to be in. Jason, what do you think when you look at Safeway and, and just broadly at grocery stores? What is there? Uh, we never want to hang our investment. Hang them! <laughs> we never want to hang, hang our, dead. our investment thesis on one metric, but it would seem like when you're looking at groceries, a metric like same store sales, you know, is if not the most crucial, certainly one of the most crucial. So, what do you think of Safeway and, and how they're doing, and and what do you think is a key metric for groceries writ large? I think so. What Joe was saying made a lot of sense there. I agree with with virtually everything he said. I mean, Safeway is a store that over the long stretch of time here, it's been it's been in a state of decline. I mean, they have a lot of stores out there, and a lot of these stores are older, so they're they're not as clean. They're they're not as up to, up to date, which is going to require more investment to bring them up to speed. And when we have new options out there, uh, like on the higher end of Whole Foods and even a Trader Joe's, which I think the perception out there is 
you know, the Trader Joe's can be uh, somewhat expensive. The reality of the matter is it's not. I mean, I've shopped at both places and compared them, and, and the bill is essentially the same. And so if you look over over the last 10 years, for example, looking at uh, Safeway, other than same-store sales, I think another metric that pops out to me is just the compression we've seen in gross margin, which essentially just means that as they pay more for the food that they're selling and the products that they're selling, they're really not able to achieve any pricing power. So they're having to cut more deals to get more things out of the out of the store. They're making less money on what they're selling. And you know, Joe was making a good point about the operating earnings there. We're seeing it all start with gross margins coming down, and we're going to see that I think continue over time as there's so many options out there for for consumers to to choose from. And so whether it's in a perpetual state of decline, I don't know. They do have a lot of a lot of debt on their balance sheet, and their operating earnings don't really cover. It uh, too many times over. Uh, they do pay a dividend. I wouldn't look for them to be raising that dividend a whole lot in the near future. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think in a couple of years you can <laughs> very safely say goodbye to that. It's, dividend. A, it's a stock that has the market has agreed with what we've been saying in here, and over the last five years, it's lost half of its value. Uh, and I think we're going to continue to see probably more of the same. Joe, year to date, the stock's down about twenty five percent. You compare that to the overall market, which is up fifteen percent year to date. It, That's bad in my professional opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, looking for another job. Uh, is is there value here? Is this is this from a valuation standpoint? Are you thinking maybe there's a value play, or is it the classic value trap? I think it's a classic value trap. Anytime you've got a business that is in a clear state of secular decline, you should avoid it, no matter how cheap it looks. And you got to ask yourself, investors, when you look at that to differentiate between a value play and a value trap, just ask yourself the question: What's the catalyst there? Because yeah. that's essentially what you're looking for: What's the catalyst that's going to turn this around? And it's not people getting in their cars and driving to some outdated grocery store. That's not a catalyst, Chris. Japanese mobile carrier SoftBank is in talks with Sprint Nextel about possibly acquiring a controlling stake, and as a result. Shares of Sprint up as much as 19% this morning. Uh, huge trading volume. Uh, what do you think of this, Joe? This this looks like, well, obviously, it, it's a good day so far if you're a shareholder of Sprint Nextel. Yeah, I mean, this is straight God from the machine. I don't think anybody <laughs> saw this coming at all, that the third biggest player in Japanese telecom would come to the U.S. and invest in our third biggest player. I mean, Sprint... This is really a big score if you're a Sprint shareholder, and hats off to you for sticking with it. I think it was a, a poor process choice to stick with it, but sure, you did, and you're probably up on it if you're a recent buyer. Um, competitively, you know, this does shake things up a little bit. It'll give Sprint, if it happens, a cash infusion and a more backing, so they'll be able to compete a little more aggressively on price, which they've done, but also on marketing, maybe try and get some better phone relationships you know they were pretty late to the party on securing the iphone but ultimately you know they're still in a tight spot competitively because they're too big to be acquired by verizon well verizon wireless or at&t and then you've got t-mobile usa who you know got blocked out of their deal with at&t merging with metro pcs so you get another big player i mean there's room for sprint in the market it's just not something I'd be excited about. And strategically, I don't know what SoftBank is thinking. Do you think that AT&T and Verizon are more nervous or certainly more watchful of Sprint Nextel today than they were yesterday? Because it seems like, uh, as you said, Joe, this was, you know, really came out of nowhere. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, if you're AT&T or Verizon, 
um, maybe you have to take Sprint Nextel a little bit more seriously, or does this not really change the fundamental underlying operations of the business? I don't know that it really changes the fundamental operations. I mean, Sprint uh, is, is like you said, it's the third largest player out there in the wireless space. And, and AT&T and Verizon have run a, a virtual duopoly to this point. When you go get a new phone, it's, do you want a Verizon contract or an AT&T contract? And I think that's going to continue to be the case. This consolidation in this industry is expected, and so that's not a surprise. Really, and I think maybe the headline caught the attention of the of the bigwigs at AT and T and Verizon. Uh, but the bottom line is they still have uh, more capital resources to build out their networks, and they're going to continue. I think in the race to develop new and faster networks, and Sprint is probably just going to keep on kind of tagging along, maybe catching that draft. Yeah, and they're behind on their networks too. You know, they've got their cart or their card tied up, I guess, to the Clearwire horse, and they're basically centered around WiMAX when the other players are you know, going guns blazing on an LTE, and so now they're having to kind of rejigger their plan, and it's a little late to the party. So while this is a great day for shareholders who Sprint Nextel long-term, this doesn't make you either one of you more interested in that company in terms of investing in it. I'm... I would say I'm more interested in it today than yesterday. I think having that extra backing financially is helpful because they do have a ton of debt, and there's a good chance you'll see SoftBank take the rest of this private at some point. I, I still wouldn't own it, but I like it more than I did yesterday. Yeah, I agree. It's it's more interesting just from a headline perspective, but I still, if I was if I were to look at investing in a space, it would either be an AT&T or a Verizon play more than likely. Potentially a Vodafone, who knows, but... Kellogg's is recalling mini-wheat cereal in the United States due to possible contamination by pieces of, wait for it, <laughs> metal mesh. We're ta- talking Ow. about 2.8 million packages of frosted mini-wheats, regular mini-wheats. It's going to cost Kellogg's about $30 million. Um, and yet, the stock is up slightly as of this taping. Is this, Jason, when you look at this, is this one of those deals where yeah, it's it's kind of horrifying to think about the notion of pouring yourself a bowl of cereal and, and there being little bits of, of metal mesh in there. <laughs> but when you look at Kellogg's overall business and the, um, the size of that business, the amount of money we're talking about here, it's really just a drop in the bucket. Yeah, and I think this is a great example of the headline is bigger than the reality of the situation. I mean, they, they are talking about a potential $30 million charge. But remember, Kellogg is a company that uh, over the last 12 months has brought in uh, close to $13.5 billion in sales. Uh, so it is it is just a drop in the bucket, really, to, to the overall picture. And I, I did find it interesting to note that management said this is not going to affect their earnings per share, thanks to good old-fashioned Pringles. I saw that. You know, the the acquisition of the Pringles, uh, the Pringles name uh, just a little while back is going to help offset whatever loss they, they may entail from this. And the fact of the matter is that with any of these companies, whether it's it's Kellogg or even Johnson & Johnson, any food or consumer-facing product, a company is, is going to be subject to these recalls. We see them all the time. We see them with the car companies. They're great headlines, but typically they're blown way out of proportion. And the stocks, the market's smarter than that. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big Frosted Mini Wheats fan, and I'm a little troubled because I eat a lot of them, and I wonder if I've consumed some metal mesh. But I'm probably just going to keep eating them. Right. I mean, it's what, there was a, a peanut butter recall from Costco or not too terribly long ago, one from Trader Joe's as well, salmonella concerns. But at the end of the day, people are going to still buy it because as a consumer, you got to buy something, and... Uh, you know, so it goes. I do like that uh, that narrative that I saw that, that 
Kellogg's came out and said, no, 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 we're going to be fine because the Pringles acquisition is going to offset this. And you have to believe that, again, Kellogg's, a huge company, so many employees, so many divisions. You have to believe that the people at Kellogg's who work in the Pringles division are just strutting a little bit more today. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to save the bacon. High five in the Pringles acquisition. (laughs) Uh, You can always email us. Radio at fool.com is the way to get a hold of us. By the way, thank you for uh, we've gotten emails with car recommendations for our friend and colleague Bill Barker. So (laughs) keep those coming. Although uh, uh, to the, the one listener who recommended that Bill buy a Tesla I don't. I don't think that's going to happen. Just uh, it's a great way from like that Subaru wagon to a Tesla. That would be a big hundred and eighty degree turn for him. Yeah, I don't see that happening. But but again, keep the recommendations coming. Uh, a couple of emails to get to uh, from Ashley Rose Stumbaugh in New York City. I recently got an iPhone and have discovered the true joy of podcasts. They're just not the same listening on the computer. Thanks for making my walk to work more enjoyable. Well, thanks for listening. Thank we you. Love that. Uh, from Mike Bentley in South Carolina. Carolina. He writes, hey guys, listener number 191 here. Love it when they ID themselves that way with the number. That's great. It's like the stonecutters. I've heard you guys mention the various services offered by The Motley Fool. What is the intent of those services? Are they meant to put a spotlight on on recommended companies for which to do some research? Or are they, hey, we've done the research, go buy these companies types of services? I want to invest better, but frankly, I don't know if I have the time to keep track of all the companies that would make up a well-diversified portfolio Thanks for the show and keep up the good work. Uh, it's a great question, and we do. I, I, I suppose uh, uh, I. I'm not going to put this on you. I suppose I take it for granted a little bit because we do mention the services, um, but it is worth spelling out every once in a while that yeah, at the Motley Fool we have about a dozen uh, services that we run. They uh, encompass a range of investing styles and strategies. Um, it, certainly, risk factor is one of them. Rule breakers is one of our services. Uh, David Gardner, co-founder of the company, is is uh, the advisor there, and those are sort of growth companies. Um, but Joe, you run Inside Value. Yes. Um, g- give me twenty seconds on sort of the service you run and and sort of the philosophy behind it. Sure. So Inside Value, anyone who listens regularly knows that I'm a value guy, and I like to buy good businesses on the cheap, and that's the gist of the service. Uh, every month, we issue a new buy recommendation. It's a stock we've done a lot of research on, and we would put money behind at that time today. <clears throat> and we also provide updated guidance on all our prior recommendations and an ongoing updated list of our best buys now. Uh, yeah, so it's definitely action-oriented, and people you know, use the suggestions or recommendations as watch list ideas too, but you know, it's definitely oriented towards finding timely buys. And you know, if you like the podcast i mean we never really do any you know salesmanship here but you know if you like the podcast you really love the newsletter um just you know seriously it is a bit of an expansion in terms of what we talk about and we definitely nerd out a lot more on the research side of it and give you more detailed thinking on the stocks that we like and why well and i should say that uh yes we charge money for these services and there's um, a free trial period it's for the first month so you can you can go sign up for motley fool inside value kick the tires for a month see if you like it if you like it stick with it if not uh, yeah, you get yeah. your money back. Uh, Joe, you work on, uh, or sorry, Jason, you work on uh, Motley Fool One, which is which is sort of, I, I, I guess, the... Um, it's the service of all the services. I was going to say, right? this is the all-access yeah. pass to the concert. This is the, the service. Uh, it's, it's, it's our most premium service, which is, frankly, another way of saying it's our most expensive <laughs> service. But it's also the service that encompasses 
every single service that we have. It is, yeah. And you mentioned uh, earlier rule breakers and David uh, Gardner's sort of view on investing. And, and Motley Fool One is, is really Tom Gardner's baby, his view on the world. So on the one hand, yeah, we bring all of our premium services under one umbrella and we do our best to uh, you know work through all of the recommendations and coverage and, and providing as much information and guidance for our members there. And then we also have uh, within the Motley Fool One service our own real money portfolio that we're managing called the Everlasting Portfolio. And this is essentially a, a portfolio where Tom makes five uh, picks every quarter, and these are stocks and companies that that he intends on holding for at least five years, if not indefinitely. And so that guides our research to begin with. We're looking for those companies that really will stand the test of time and, and grow uh, in shareholder value. And so it's a lot of fun from that perspective because it is very much in the way uh, I view the world, looking for those companies that will be around for a long time and uh, you know, work with my buddy Brian White over there. We have a great time uh, working with Tom and putting together some great stuff. Okay. Jason Moser, Joe Maker. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank, Thank you. you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. Check out The Motley Fool Money radio show this weekend. Our guest, Jerry Morrell, the founder and CEO of Five Guys. The That's fat, a good one. The fastest growing restaurant chain in America. We actually had him here at The Fool last week. Did a, a, a Q and A with him. He's a character in yeah. the rotunda in front of our company. It was it was great. So definitely check it out. That's yep. the Motley Fool Money Radio Show this weekend. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.